0: The younger you are, the more you're inclined to think the way things are now is the way things have always been. But when you take a step back and realize that Social Security has only been around for like 80 years, so it didn't always exist and people didn't always depend on it. So then that begs the question how did people survive before that? <laughs> Welcome back for another episode of the Post Money Plan podcast. My name is Dallas Post and I am your host. As you know, I believe empowerment comes through knowledge, so my purpose here is to inform, educate, and stimulate thought within personal finance, economics, and investing. You can find me at postmoneyplan.com or search The Post Money Plan in the iTunes podcast app or in Google Play. So, as the national debt grows, us millennials are starting to doubt the likelihood of the government's ability to follow through on its financial commitments. So I thought I'd talk to my dad to get some of his insight on social security since he's pretty savvy when it comes to finances and he's been looking at or he was looking at social security in part of his retirement planning preparation. I just thought he'd be a a good counter perspective to my younger ears to get some perspective on social security. So welcome back to the show, Dad.
1: Well, uh, I I would like to Prelim my talk saying how I looked at things back when I was your age and what the thought processes were based on what kind of news was coming out of DC in terms of what the prospects for the future of Social Security looked like. In my thinking from the very beginning, I decided that I would. Even though uh Social Security was a big part of all of the older people that I knew plans for their retirement financial planning, I decided that I needed to plan as though Social Security was not going to exist when I became the age such that I could take advantage of it. Fortunately for me my work life and finances turned out that uh, basically I was able to proceed on that basis it turns out it would be political suicide for any politician to actually risk his career to eliminate Social Security because there's such a overwhelming number of voters that would be impacted by such a thing so Basically, the approach being taken is that there's not enough people contributing to Social Security to make it financially sound for the long-run future, but it will continue short of some catastrophic change in the government for the foreseeable future. That's my belief at this point. Uh, Having said that, even though I am old enough that I could be taking Social Security, I have chosen not to.
0: How old are you for the audience?
1: I have just turned 67.
0: Let's just take a step back real quick and explain what Social Security is and how it works.
1: Now there's a counter to that, which is what I'm doing or plan to do. For each year that you delay in taking your Social Security, you get an increase in your Full retirement amount by 8% per year. And since the cost of living is increasing at a rate significantly below 8% per year, I plan to continue as long as the inflation rate stays below that amount to delay my taking it until 70 because I don't need the money. Now, admittedly, my circumstance is special because most people need the money but I've been lucky enough that finances have worked in my favor that's certainly true and are old enough that we could be drawing Social Security and the Millennials and others that are contributing to the Social Security system basically the way it's set up is we need large numbers of contributors for each person that draws down the system And that is just the reverse of what's actually happening. We have a large number of drawdown people, people who are drawing income from the Social Security bank, so to speak. And the number of contributors is small relative to the number of withdrawals. That is where the pinch comes from a financial perspective.
0: So just like the the big idea for Social Security – is that it was established after the Depression in response to people having financial problems, and the government decided, we want to provide a financial safety net for the elderly and the disabled, people that can't provide an income for themselves, and we, on a social level, want to provide a source of income for those people.
1: Yeah, it was not intended to be the sole source of income for people of retirement age, unfortunately the average American does not contribute to his own retirement in large enough portion such that Social Security is only a minor or a smaller portion of their income that's what was intended what has actually happened is that a large portion of the American population doesn't save anything and as a result Social Security is their main cog, their driver in in their uh, retirement. And to make matters even worse, when I was young, if you went to work for a company, the pension, 401ks, and other things that were long-term retirement savings. Now, in today's business world, a large portion of the population does not receive a pension from their company. The only long-term savings that they may have is something that they have contributed to themselves, either through a 403B or a 401K. But again, those are people who are forward-looking and planning ahead for their retirement, and that is unfortunately not the vast majority of, of our population. So uh, an awful lot of people are working well past retirement age because they simply haven't been unable to um, save enough to take care of them in their waning years, in their golden years.
0: Yeah, and kind of a controversial thought that I think of is that it's almost as if Social Security and that safety net there has encouraged poor financial behavior in the sense that oh, well, I can count on having Social Security in retirement as a form of income, so I don't need to be prudent about saving for the future and building up savings for living in retirement because I'll just have a Social Security paycheck.
1: That is, the a large portion of the population have taken that approach. And I say unfortunately because the reality is, in my special circumstance, I worked out of the country for a significant portion of my career and was not contributing to Social Security. Social Security will not be a significant part of any retirement for me anyway. For someone who had more of a typical American working background Mm -hmm. where they were working in the country and contributing all along, then Social Security is typically a very significant portion of their retirement income.
0: Another funny thing that I I think of is just that, especially the younger you are, the more you're inclined to think the way things are now is the way things have always been. But when you take a step back and realize that Social Security has only been around for like 80 years, so it didn't always exist and people didn't always depend on it. So then that begs the question, how did people survive before that? (laughs) Yes,
1: and there's been a dramatic shift. A hundred years ago, before Social Security, people planned ahead for their retirement. Maybe not as well as everyone would have liked, but they did save all along in an effort to uh, to provide for the future. Now, again, part of it is tied in with you know with improved medical care and such. Lifespans have extended, and as a result the requirements for a longer retirement income have increased with that and so uh, more planning ahead is more important for a millennial than for me for example because you know my life expectancy for someone of my birth year is several years less than someone of your birth year
0: it's kind of ridiculous to think in times past of a hard cut-off retirement age you know, like if you were a farmer and you're growing your crops and that's how you have food and survive, then it's like, oh, well, I turn 65, so I'm done farming and, and feeding myself. Like that probably wouldn't have worked in the past <laughs> so well.
1: that's That's certainly true. I'll give you some examples that I have run into just in the last couple of days. I was at a restaurant eating and my server was a retiree approximately my age. You know, he had worked in industry for the majority of his life, but he needed more income in his retirement years than he had planned on. So he's now back at work again, working at a restaurant. Today, I'm playing golf, and the starter is a retiree from the steel industry that now, because he did not plan ahead quite well enough, is working in his golden years. There's nothing wrong with that, per se, but I'd rather it be something someone does for either physical exercise or mental activity or something like that than financial need.
0: So just talking about, again, like history and historically how things went, instead of people relying on the federal government via Social Security, there was a more local sense to it. So either states or towns or primarily families. Parents would be provided for by their children or their grandchildren. And in times past, people's wealth, like part of their wealth was their families, and their families would work together. Children would support their parents and grandparents. There was a more familial level to finances. Unfortunately, we seem in our American society to have eschewed that and gone away from that mentality but let me take us back to how social security works. I was just going to add to your description of social security just to elaborate. It's funny because most people I don't think think of it this way but social security is actually like a form of insurance. The government takes money out of your paycheck every time you earn money from your job through the form of Social Security contributions, which are almost like insurance premiums that you're paying into this uh, Social Security fund. And then you get to claim the benefits during retirement.
1: Yes, it's, uh, it's a fairly good analogy, I-, I think. I hadn't thought of it that way myself, but uh, yes, you're on, on target there.
0: Theoretically, the way it's working is that the government collects money out of people's paychecks during their working years. So every time you earn income from your employer, they're taking a little off the top. Currently, that's what, like six and a half percent or six and a quarter percent off the top of your paycheck. You don't even see it, and it goes straight into the government's social security funds. That'll show up on your paycheck as uh, it'll say like a FICA tax, which is referring to the Federal Insurance Contributions Act that was put together, um, like you were saying in the Roosevelt era. So the government pools all this money together in one place that's coming from everyone paying into it. And then it theoretically is investing that money so that that pool of money grows. And then as people who are getting older and in retirement, it starts paying some of that pool's money to the people who have paid into it and are now in their retirement years and providing for them out of the initial money plus the profits so that hopefully the fund has grown its money and then paying out of that pool to people who are now in retirement and theoretically the idea is that if you have the same amount of people paying in as taking out that it should just stay stable throughout all time just moving money from people who have more potential and are are able to earn it to people who can no longer provide for themselves in retirement and just kind of income shifting across society.
1: Yeah, philosophically, that's about what's supposed to happen. The unfortunate reality is that with improved medical services over time and the last 80 years, the lifespan has increased such that now the average person is going to be past his working career for 15 years on average, which means even if he doesn't go at the earliest possible date, which I believe is still 62 at a reduced amount, you can begin to withdraw and receive social security. But even if he chooses not to do that and goes at the traditional full retirement date, then that person is drawing down the system for 15 years and one person contributing for 15 years does not equal the amount that one person drawing money out does. It takes approximately four people adding money into the system to equal one person drawing it out unless the figures have changed since I last looked. The net result is the system is moving toward a negative balance continually.
0: And we know just as as a general financial principle that if you have more water escaping from your bucket than you're pouring into it, obviously you're going to run out of water in the bucket. So it's unsustainable to have more coming out than going in. And it doesn't look like that trend is ending anytime soon. Okay, so let's get a little bit more specific in terms of who gets Social Security benefits and how much? Because you you were kind of alluding to that earlier.
1: Okay. There are some special cases. For example, my sophomore roommate in college, his father died, unfortunately, when he was young. And he was aided in his effort to go to college through the Social Security system. That's not the typical case, but it is a number of, People that that benefit from such special circumstances that, that were not originally intended to be part of the system, the general earliest age that you can begin to draw Social Security is 62. You get a reduced amount over what is considered your full benefit from that. Now, Social Security, however, increases with time on what's commonly referred to as COLA cost of living allowance that goes up over time. Now, in uh, recent years, it hasn't been huge because inflation's been low. But if I look at my papers that show the projections on what Social Security would have been for me had I taken full-age retirement back when I stopped working in the U.S. and compared it with my latest projections of what my retirement from Social Security would be, there's a huge jump just from COLA, that cost-of-living allowance. So that all that is additional money that the government has to come up with from somewhere, whether it's by printing money or whether it's truly funded by some other source. In, uh, in an effort to continue Social Security, the government a few years back changed the system a little bit, and depending upon your birth date, it gradually worked up from age 65, which was the traditional full retirement age, to at some point in the future, if you are young enough, you'll have to work till age 70 to be at full retirement age. In my particular case, I believe to be at what was considered full retirement, I needed to be at 66 and two-thirds or some age to begin full withdrawal.
0: So you have to be at least 62 years old to qualify for Social Security benefits, or if you're disabled. So if you were born in 1990, that would mean by the year 2052 would be the first year you would be eligible for Social Security under the current rules. But as we will discuss later, that's probably going to change.
1: Again, it's significant that if you take it early at the earliest date, you're getting a significantly lower monthly check than if you waited till a later date to take it. It's a significant long run impact, but people take more of the short run approach to things saying, well, I want my money now because I might not be here tomorrow.
0: Yeah. The amount that you're going to get is kind of convoluted, but the social security website, which is ssa.gov, actually has calculators and estimators for you to go in there and it can spit out what it estimates based on your personal information and what you've contributed, how much, and your earnings, what you can estimate your payout from social security to be. And that's dependent on your income, your age of like how many years you've been paying into it. Each year you wait, they increase the payout so that it's like, if you don't take it, it's kind of like you're investing it and getting a, a guaranteed return on your money. So those benefits are, are growing each year. So I've actually read that the rule of thumb is that uh, Social Security is intended slash expected to replace 40%, 40% of your pre-retirement income just as a general rule of thumb
1: you know when you think about that there's also the general belief from financial people that uh, when you retire you only need about eighty percent of what you had during working years obviously they're generalizations both both your quote and mine but if you just take them at approximate face value that still leaves you with a forty percent gap that a person needs to cover on average, for themselves in one form or another, whether it's through investing or or whatever, or if you have to go back to work to make up that gap, whatever it is. And that's under the assumption that you, a significant number of people, when they retire, like to reward themselves by world tours, cruises, fancy vacations, etc. So when they talk about in retirement years, you only need 80% of what you needed during working years. They're not including the special rewards that you might choose to give yourself. <laughs> so if, if you give yourself the rewards, no problem, but you need to plan for that ahead of time how to fund that.
0: And what's crazy is if you think about the math here, so this is kind of a segue into my next question to you. But... If Social Security currently, what they charge you, they take six and a quarter percent out of your paycheck, and then your employer matches that. So in total, the Social Security is taking 12 and a half percent of your pay and putting it into this fund. But if it was paying out 40 percent of your income to you, the math doesn't make sense there for that to be sustainable. That if you were only contributing 12 and a half percent of your income and you're getting back 40,
1: Well, it's a little more complex than that simply because, you know, the theory behind it was you're going to work for 40 years and contribute for 40 years. And at the time Social Security was was initiated, the average life expectancy was somewhere right around 65 years of age. So if you contributed for 40 years, then, of course, early on, the social security system was actually making money, but as time went on and the number of people drawing out and the life expectancy of those people drawing out increased dramatically, that's where the deficit exploded.
0: I was going to take advantage of this opportunity to have a little tirade on our current form of democracy, I think, is kind of doomed to suicide because it's easy for the majority to vote for a pleasant lie than an inconvenient truth. In the case of social security benefits not being viable at their current level for future generations, the majority is probably not going to vote for themselves not to receive benefits.
1: And that, that's what has stopped it from, I mean, it's not a new problem. It's just growing in magnitude year by year. But, you know, the problem has been foreseen for 20 years. And unfortunately, when the hard decision comes up where you as a voter know what is right to do financially, but it impacts your personal financial situation, It's not normal for a a person to vote themselves a cut in pay.
0: All right. So my last question to you then is, what can we do to fix the problem?
1: Well, that's the tougher issue. From my perspective, I guess I would go back to what I did with my life. I hope for everyone else's benefit to make their life easier that I'm mistaken and that Social Security will continue and prosper and provide a even larger portion of their retirement income 60% or whatever, but I don't believe that's a reality. My thinking is you need to plan for the worst case scenario and when it's not that, then you win. So just like I did in planning for social security not to exist when my need arose, if I was a millennial, that's how I would operate. I would plan that there'll be no help from the government for me. And how can I take care of my own personal financial situation such that I am contributing to my own retirement and it will grow on a steady basis and be there when I need it? And I think that's the ultimate fix for your audience. They won't like to hear it, but I think it's what is really It's the only sure thing. Other things can happen politically and other things that could be good, but they can't be counted on or relied upon.
0: Well, yeah, as you say, not depending on it and just making your own plans outside of Social Security is probably the most wise thing to do because what I expect is the most likely thing to happen is that over time, as benefits become more and more costly for the government to pay out via Social Security, that they will try to slowly increase the age of eligibility for it and or reduce the payout benefits per person over time.
1: Yeah, and that has, in fact, already started.
0: So because of that, if you're just on your own personal level, like you're saying, planning it out as if you have nothing from social security to expect or plan on or depend on that you just make your own plans independent of social security. And that's just an added bonus on top uh, is probably the most prudent thing to do. Well, that pretty much wraps things up from my end. Did you have any closing thoughts?
1: I guess, uh, you know, I'm maybe sounding a little heavy handed and stuff and I did not intend to do that. You know, I guess if you can, encourage all the millennials out there to try to live within their means. Don't buy it until you can afford to pay for it. They'll have a little bit of pain in the short run. They won't have the latest and greatest, but in the long run, their benefits will be huge.
0: All right. Thanks again for coming on the show. And I was going to say at the beginning that I think you were actually my first guest on the podcast.
1: That is entirely possible. Perhaps (laughs) it won't be the last.
0: (laughs) All right. Uh, Thanks again. Catch us next time on another episode of the Post Money Plan podcast.